Welcome to Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill, and I'll be leading you on this adventure. We'll be getting into deep discussions about classic records, profiles on up-and-coming bands, and interviews with your favorite artists. You can check out new episodes every week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to ask everyone to check out Gimme Radio. It's a sick music platform geared for metalheads and fans of extreme music. I have a show on there called The Sacred and Profane. Pretty much anything goes, you'll hear stuff like Hate Eternal, Vastum, Chromags, Fields of the Nephilim, old stuff like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. For this week, we have Pig Destroyer. I've loved Pig Destroyer since I heard them back in the late 90s. They have always, in my opinion, brought together the best of what extreme music has to offer. Provocative lyrics, sick riffs, precise drumming, and one of the most intense live shows. I caught up with the band backstage at the Gramercy Theater in New York. It was a record release show for last year's Head Cage. Usually I try to limit these talks to two or three guys, but this time the whole band got in. It's chaotic at times, but still a whole lot of fun. You gotta remember, these field recordings sometimes get a little crazy. Ambience sort of uh, leaks into these recordings, especially being in New York, where pretty much uh, chaos reigns. The new album, Head Cage. This is the record release show for that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right, now six years have gone by since your last album, so why, you know, why so long? I think we, uh, we tried to put some time into supporting the last album, you know, because we, we don't do long tours, so we tried to get around a little bit for us. And uh, Scott was doing some agoraphobic stuff. You know, we remixed the Prowler record, um, you know, and then we had to write this record. So I would say maybe half of the time was spent doing other crap, and then half of the time was spent trying to assemble this record, which t- took a little bit. Um, this is the first record with uh, bassist John Jarvis on it. Now, the other records, uh, I mean, there's so much density on all the albums, and um, is there actually bass buried in there somewhere? Mm, forgive me for talking with my mouth full, but mm, no, <laughs> but we... Um, <laughs> my mouth wouldn't be full, brother. <laughs> or should I say sister? Oh! <laughs> anyway, um, and I, I think... I use various things to fill up the middle, the middle space. Um, I think I, on Prowler and Terrifier, I had a middle guitar. And Phantom Limb, I think I had a middle guitar that I pitch shifted down. Right. Okay. Um, and that's all fine and good, but I felt I felt that this time we should actually have an honest to goodness bass player so that we can do. Because I'm, I'm a big fan of bass driven stuff like Jesus Lizard and sure. like a lot of amphibian reptile stuff where the guitars and the basses aren't necessarily doing the same thing, but the bass is definitely there clanging through the whole mix. Yeah. And I wanted that for. For future Pig Destroyer stuff. So, speaking of which, his ears must have been burning. <laughs> so yeah, um, it was it was definitely um, definitely cool to have him and write for bass rather than just like throwing in a pitch shifted guitar in the middle yeah, of it totally. afterwards. Yeah, because it sounds like having you know listened to the record a bunch of times. I mean, the bass like it feels like a whole separate entity in mm-hmm. the band now, as opposed to and, and myself having experiences of demoing stuff on my own with me playing bass and guitar it's like 
not just like a another instrument for me to jack off and express myself with the same sort of thing. Right. So there's another human yeah. entity there being creative. You Clearly. Know? And you, you know, you, 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 you can create some depth and some, um, some, uh, uh, some real, uh, I don't know how else to say dynamics. it. Dynamics. Exactly. Yeah. With, with a bass player doing stuff that's not necessarily what the guitars are doing. You know what I mean? So I was really excited to get into and write, write some of that stuff, which is also why it took a long time to actually write. I really put every song through its vetting process and, Re- revised everything relentlessly, kind of like a writer would a book. Sure. I mean, I took stuff and, and just threw entire songs away, even before these guys got a taste of it. So I, every song took a lot of time for me to actually iron out and make sure it was 100% correct. So when you write, do you write pretty much on your own, or do you write with, with Jarvis, or like how is, you know? It's easier for me to write on my own, and then I send stuff to him to uh, give me some information feedback about drums whether i'm being realistic with something or he wants another like fill or another flavor um you know i'll throw stuff to him and then but i i mean i typically do stuff in my basement because it's just easier because i can when i have a spare uh, day or half a day or something that's when i can actually sit and actually do it on my own right on you know with tune track drums and oh you, you use that superior yeah. drummer mm-hmm. uh, i've been using it forever yeah you're one of the early adopters of that technology man i had the very first uh tune track sample cd when it was before it was like a vsti they just had a i think neil kernan when i was working on maybe the second skinless record the one with john longstreth is oh yeah okay i think that was a third maybe yeah the third record longstreth on it yeah i think neil kernan turned me on to yeah yeah well anyway when i was i mean i learned a lot of stuff from the 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 producers that i worked with um and what I got from Neil Kernan were these these samples from Tune Track, where these drum kit from Hell samples were awesome. I went up using them on Terrifier for better or for worse. I didn't, and I'm not sure if I knew what I was doing with them, but the Terrifier record has a lot of those drum kit from Hell samples on it. Nice. But then it was it was a couple years after that that they actually came out with a like a VST, a, an instrument, a VSTI that you could actually program. So before that, it was just literally samples you'd load into Drumagog or beat replacer or something right. like that well now it's like you just drag it in and it's like already corrected with whatever tempo <laughs> yeah. you have yeah. and then velocities are captured yep. perfectly yeah and even like if you wanted to modify it there's like there's that one um this is now it's turning Do you superior so like, to i just started playing around with it and um like some of easy the easy drummer or uh, three it's three Man, you can yeah. do anything. You can make with that. a whole album like is, a legit record. With it is that. fucking crazy what you can do with that. Yeah, and then yeah. when you when you actually get into just the MIDI information on there, you can start editing it and changing yeah. things around. Yeah, and, yeah. It's it's that's. I mean, I'm gonna start doing that for the new Agoraphobic. I'm still using Superior Drummer Two for demoing stuff just because I'm sort of familiar with that workflow. Right. But Superior Drummer Three is what we're gonna do stuff in the future with. Yeah, I mean, this is the first batch of material that I've done with using that. You know, like I used to think I was slick, just you know. Yeah. Using like this bullshit like setup that I have, just a click track going and uh-huh. no drums. Yeah. But it completely re- you know changed everything. I oh, is this your too. first time doing the that? First time. My, this last few songs are the first ones I. Oh, used. it's great. Yeah, it's it? revolutionized. Yeah, everything. it's absolutely fantastic. So uh, one of the things that I noticed after listening to the record was that um, there's a lot more mid tempo and a lot more grooves on the album. Not to say that your older material did not have grooves, but this new one definitely has like. Um, like more mid-tempo, kind of chunkier riffs on it. Now, do you think, I mean, yeah, I know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you got to have a bass player, so it's all rhythmic now. But, I, I mean, is kind that of, something that just kind of came out, or, like, what's the story? No, that? it was very deliberate on my part. And as a matter of fact, if it wasn't for these guys, there probably wouldn't have been blast beats on the record because I, I, I wanted to explore 
stuff that we hadn't done before. Right. And a lot of it. I mean, you know, I found myself listening to a lot of groovier music, like Mets or Cherubs. Um, oh, Cherubs, yeah. Jesus right. Lizard. Yep. Those, I mean, I listen to more of that stuff than I listen to anything for this record. And I wanted to have stuff that was groovier and stuff that was a little bit sort of mathy in the sense of, like, confessor. Uh, you know, not mathy, like... Periphery, Matthew. I mean, like, yeah. you know, the Confessor, Loincloth, yeah. that kind of stuff. So you'll hear a lot of that stuff in there as well as I'm a huge fan of ZZ Top. So stuff that's kind of swings and grooves like that. I mean, I just wanted to have that stuff in our record. And whether or not we do it again for the next record, I don't know. But I wanted to just focus on that and, like, not just have pieces that were breakdowns. I wanted yeah. to have whole songs that were like that and, you know, mature. Yeah, totally, man. It's, it just gives, like, a whole other dimension, especially when you, you know, like, like I'm imagining. Yeah against the other material yeah. it's like this big spectrum of work now that's like yeah you know, mid-tempo and like the, of course there's some grind stuff on the yeah. record too and that's because i you know i was gonna not put any of that stuff in but then these guys were like eh no pal and actually just speaking that point i think the grind stuff on this might be the fastest grind stuff we've ever done i mean it's fast it's pretty fast it was faster before adam actually tracked it though <laughs> just kidding I think it's also that because you have the slower songs, it makes the short, fast songs seem faster. You know, when I, they're I always like that when they're juxtaposed like that. Yeah. You know, Blake, yeah. Can you put this on for me? No, can you moisten it up for me? <laughs> Come on, man. Use your tongue. That's like w one of the things I notice about the record is is that sort of like you know the dynamic between the fast and the slow, and it makes when you kick into the fast parts, it seems like really, really intense and like super brutal. You know. I think a lot of times when people do grindcore records, it's almost thought the record is thought of almost as like one long song yeah, where it's all yeah. trying to accomplish the same thing uh -huh. at the same time. And so we want we wanted to have there to be some hills and valleys in the record to kind of, you know, so you, you could sit down and listen to the first like three songs and not have heard everything that I feel like you throw a lot of death metal records on. And after the first song, you have a pretty good idea of what you're in for for the next like four oh minutes, yeah you know? and, and there have been certain bands who make a whole career out of making you know oh, here's another album another tour cycle and right, it's like right. the same old record over and over again yeah uh do you guys have any favorite tracks of your own like personal favorites on the record because I, uh, I have a few of my own actually i mean i'm re <laughs> i'm really happy how terminal itch turned out and uh the uh and house of snakes was just such a that's such a long and, and crazy song. I didn't really know what I was going to do with it when I first started arranging vocals, but I'm, I'm really happy with how that, that one turned out, too. House Scott? of Snakes, particularly, I think that one sticks out as a very different, different type of song for you guys. That's a, that was a challenge, too, because uh, I don't know that it really hit people the right... I mean, by people, I mean my bandmates and even myself, because there's, it doesn't necessarily just jump out at you. Yeah. That's one of those kinds of songs where you have to sort of have faith in it because there's something right about it. You just, you, and that's the longest song that took me to write. It took me like four months to write that fucking song and it went through endless revisions. Nice. Um, so yeah. Oh, I think part of that was that that was the second song you wrote for the record. That was the second song you wrote for the album. Yeah. The first song was army of cops. Okay. And, and yep. It was either the second or third, but it was like one of the early songs. So, yeah. So we didn't really have that much stuff to compare it to. So I think when we heard it, we were like, which direction is this album going? You know, because that song is not only complicated and weird, it's super long. It's you very know what long, I mean? Yeah. So it's like, uh, I think maybe at the time we didn't know what kind of album we were in for, you know, and then after, as the songs started to develop, you kind of got a better idea of how it fit. Well, and also like before tonight, we haven't performed any of these songs but that one. 
Oh, wow. And even though it's like, what, seven and a half minutes, 720, like even playing it live, it doesn't feel that way. It's not like a drudgery, and there's a lot of changes in it. So, like... There's a lot. It's densely packed with oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. But not so much that you just get fatigued. Oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta, yeah. gotta talk. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in that song, but hopefully, there's, there's, a, I mean, the biggest part about that song is the first half is all supposed to be about space. Like the big thing was every single note is supposed to be like a heavy, really dig into the guitar, dig into the drums. Every single note in that first, the beginning of that song is supposed to be like you know a exclamation point. That's the way I wrote that song, and then it lightens up and you know gets a little bit groovier and sounds a little bit more like Mets or something like that. But that's, uh, it was a difficult song to write. It was. But I wanted to spend time on it. I wanted to refine it and make sure it was, it was as good as it could be. Circle River is in the, like one of the tracks that, to me, stands out. I really yeah. dig that one. And, it's got uh, a swing to it. Yeah, too. and there's something just really, uh, like with the chorus, quote-unquote, part of the song. It's like, um, it sounds really ominous. So mm-hmm. what the hell is Circle River? Like, what is it? What is it? Are you talking about the lyr- lyrically? Lyr- what, what lyrically, is it? yeah. Uh, I, I think it was just uh, me trying to find a metaphor for uh, going through the same bullshit every day and waking up with the same problems and understanding maybe even how to solve them but not accomplishing that, you know, and just just getting sick of going on the ride over and over again, you know, just being trapped on the roller coaster kind of thing. The, uh, the, the video that you guys just did um, for Army of Cops, Okay. You guys work with uh, Dave Brodsky on that. Yeah. Yeah, I know Dave. Yeah. Good guy. He'll be here tonight. Oh, oh yeah. great. Him and, All- Emily? Oh, Allie. Oh, Allie, yeah. Allie is lady. Yeah, good, good well, guy. Front front that, but yeah. And that was the first song you wrote for the album, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, it, what was I doing? I, I mean, it was, I think I was just dicking around on the guitar, and I started playing this riff that kind of, to me, sounded like a Chaos AD Sepultura riff, and that was the, the main riff of the song. And I thought, well, this... What works with this? And I programmed some drums that kind of sound like John Strainer era helmet. I, I was like, well, that. I guess I'm on to something. But yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't sure that this was supposed to be the first, you know, the first lobby, the volley across the bow, you know what I mean? And I said to these guys, like, well, I guess we already have our first single. <laughs> like, I guess I didn't mean it to be that way, but it just, you know, worked out that way. It was the first song, like just written by accident. Yeah, definitely it feels like it sets the tone for a lot of the material on the album. Yeah. You know? And uh, one, one sort of non sequitur I have is I saw in the video you're wearing what looks like a brand new Motley Crue t-shirt. It's actually not. It's not. So there's a group, I know, and I should, yeah, damn. Uh, it's a uh, yeah. shirt by a, a group of people that make um, uh, meat products like sausages. Okay. And they've made uh, sausages from our Three Floyds permanent funeral oh, beer. okay yeah um they're all metalheads and they're super cool guys and they just came out with that shirt like the week before we were gonna film it and i told the dudes that i would wear it in the video so it's cool it's meat crafters but it's written like girls girls because it says grills, yeah it says girls 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 on it it says grills 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 instead of girls, girls oh it's girls. grills yeah it says grills grills Jeez. grills and it's meat crafters how He's clever lying. nothing against motley crew i mean He's lying. He brought we, 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 we fully before. endorse the first team motley crew album yeah yeah, yeah. stand by those and too uh, fast for love and yeah and, uh, Shout out to Devil. Right, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm down with Devil. those too. Devil. Yeah. But it's a Meat Crafter shirt. Okay. It, look, it does look like a Motley Crue shirt. After those two records, it's no good, right? Uh, it goes down. It goes down. There's a couple hits in there, but like, Oh, you know, gross. Sorry. There's, there's, there's even parts of the second album that I could... Well, but that, had, that I could live without. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. Can't fuck with some looks to kill, though. You can't, you can't mess with that shit. That, that opens a shout out to Devil. I mean, that's, you know... That, that, that record scared the shit out of me when I got it. That they're real. 
I bought that in this the first Merciful Fate EP I think that was on Megaforce, which was a uh, Black Funeral and Black Masses, mm, yeah. and the picture it was a picture disc. I had I known back then it was going to be worth anything at all, I would have <laughs> taken care of it. But I think it got covered with soda or something. But I bought that and Motley Crue Shout at the Devil at the same time, and to me there there was nothing different between Motley Crue and Merciful Fate, <laughs> which is kind of funny to think about. Yes, they're, they're both heavily influenced by Kiss. That's true. Yeah, they're both theatrical. They and at that time, you know, Motley Crue I mean, had a lot of. Anybody who wears corpse paint should probably be sending kids royalty checks. You know? I'm uh, sure they would love that. Also, the uh, trying to figure out how to collect all that. He pops up, he's like, <laughs> yeah, you guys corpse paint he's here? like he's like in the bathroom right now. Like, by the way, gentlemen. Our guys on this. <laughs> well, he, Gene Simmons is one of those guys who runs around and trademarks everything he can possibly trademark. Like, like, the, like the little the little bag of money with the dollar sign on it, like he owns that. Like he owns that image. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, he just he just tries to trademark anything that he can. He tried to trademark that. Huh. Right. And then people pitched a big, you know, fit yeah. about it. But. Yeah. Well, the video also uh, features um, Richard Johnson of yeah. Enemy yeah. Soil and that, who also sings on the track too. Right? And you guys have a few other, um, you know, yes, guest vocalists, vocalists mm-hmm. and whatnot, yeah. and you know, Dylan from R- Rich. Hell. Rich is popped up on almost every record yeah, we've done. Yeah. That's why know? I thought it was fitting that he was I think sometimes video. credited and sometimes not. Dylan doesn't sing. He does noise on that track. Oh. All right. All right, yeah, okay. So he's not, he doesn't do any vocals. Okay. No. Maybe next time. There's a There's a voice on the record that's like super low, like death metal type voice. That's Kat, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, she does some of her like more mid-rangey vocals that kind of sound similar to mine, and then there were a couple right. points where I wanted her to do her signature. You know, right. in, in, incantation, Craig Pillar yeah, vocals. Man. You know, so like, we got we got Cat, we have um, Richard on extra, you know, guest vocals, mm-hmm. and Dylan's just doing some extra noise. Yeah, John John does a few uh, lines and some songs, and then there's a bunch of gang vocals, and then uh, our buddy Jason Hodges, who's uh, in Suppression, he, he's I, on a I song with guy. us too. Yeah, definitely. Wow, it's, it's all cool. The extended family. Nice, nice. Now, uh, some of the. Um, are you guys planning on doing any more videos where they have like a narrative? Because I know there's the, the Diplomat video, which I quite enjoyed. Anything like that, like in the... Uh, I don't know about anything in the works, but we wouldn't be a- opposed to that. I think, uh, at least speaking for me personally, I-, I don't really like to be in the videos. I know the label prefers that sort of thing, but... Yeah, I, I like it like with the diplomat thing where, where you just kind of turn it over to a-, to a director and let them do their thing and make a narrative out of it. I just think that that... Works better for me personally, but do you guys know Zev Deans by any chance? Do you know him? Mm-hmm. Zev Deans. It seems like I've seen the name around. What, what has he done? Uh, he did uh, that uh, Behemoth video for uh, Messe Noir. Oh, okay. Um, he did Portal Curtain. Mm. Did you ever see that video? I, I don't think so, but Portal's fucking crazy. Hey, this case looks familiar. <laughs> yeah. I think the relapse said that this. I, I feel like like Bob brought him up. I it's think like that he's a fan. He's definitely a fan. Yeah, I think that yeah. I think that he might have Bob Legali, the uh, one of the label heads. You know yeah, Bob? yeah, I know Bob. Okay, you know Bob. But, okay. but for oh, yeah, every, everyone else Bobby. out there, <laughs> we're, for their for their benefit, we'll say who Bob is. Okay. So, Bob okay. Legali. Oh, actually, do you say Legali or say Legal? Legal. Okay. Okay. Bob with the Prince jacket. Bob with the Prince jacket. ICP Bob. Because he's a. He's Juggalo Bob. Juggalo Bob. He's a unapologetic Juggalo. Yes, Bob. totally. He, told, yeah. and he knows. Yeah. He knows everything about the scene there. So, yeah. So the wait. What was the question here about Zeb Deans? So I think he pitched this when we were talking about video uh, producers. That I think this this the guy you just mentioned is one of the guys who 
he was going to pitch us uh, yeah. to do something because he was a big fan. He's I don't, I don't know where it, I don't know where that went. I think yeah. we did. But he, you did see that we had a um, video from Mount Skull, right? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah, that's a cool video, too. Yeah. And that's also a storyline narrative kind of thing. Kind of, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it has nothing to do with the song. That's what I mean. It's not just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, Zeb did, um, you sound like Cannibal Corpse. He did uh, mm. fucking Morbid Angel. Um, oh, wow. He's based in this area. Uh, he was going to do our last video, mm. but didn't work out. Brodsky? No, no. Brodsky did the last video. That's what I was saying. Wanna... He did it. But Zev was going, was someone we were talking about having to do the last video. Got it. Yeah. And then um, it just didn't. He's like a personal friend of mine. Yeah. But also just schedule-wise, it didn't work out because we were going on tour and we were gone for yeah. like several months at the time. Oh, and wow. Scheduling didn't work broke yeah. out, you know. But yeah, he's. Uh, I would love to see him work with you guys at some point. Yeah, I, I, I got to revisit those emails because I'm kind of curious about that. And uh, one of the things that I find really interesting about the band is the lyrics, and uh, they're not that they're very they're political in a quote in air quotes, meaning that they have to do possibly with like personal politics, not necessarily Always. like the, I I don't a lot of the decisions that I've made in my life I don't feel comfortable judging anybody. Okay. Uh, so mostly it's it's just things from my perspective, and and I don't I'm not trying to get preachy on people. That's not really my my game. Yeah, you don't have like a fuck the system sort of approach to writing lyrics. People are the system, you know, so yeah. fuck people. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, was there any kind of theme on this record or? Uh, I mean, some of the lyrics kind of share themes. I mean, a lot. some of them were probably created at the same time and then maybe got split off into two different songs, you know, or something like that. Like right. uh, um, my lyrics, I think a lot like Scott's music, you know, I, I cut and and paste and pull pull stuff from one place to another and uh so it, sometimes i forget even what the the origins of of something might be um but but i think on this record i i kind of wanted to do as many different kinds of songs as i could and just and you know again trying to follow the music and 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 bring some different flavors in and you know not not make it all about you know current events or something like that sure, but yeah. it, but just a little a little speck of each thing you know now um do you you know like your approach, do you do you have certain lyrics for certain songs, or do you just sort of write a bunch of material and then just sort of call it from that material? Yeah, I, I always have like a big pool of of material. Uh, for this record, I had like about five notebooks that I I, I like to go through and just I'll, I'll I have this thing where I'll I pick out lines that I like, but I don't I, I just pull them out of the context. I don't care if they really mean anything without the context or not. If I like the line, then yeah. I can turn it into something else, you know, regard, you know, what I wrote the line originally about isn't necessarily what it's going to be about when it sure, ends in yeah. the song, but I just, I go through and I pull all the lines that I, that I like out and then I smash them all together. I write it as tiny as I can and smash as many ideas onto one page as I can. And so from five notebooks, I think I had about 20, crammed pages of of lines that i liked and then from there i kind of uh you know spun spun what what i liked and i I set up a couple lines as sort of a skeleton and then kind of write the song you know from from there now in various uh written places i've seen that you guys have uh you know cited uh dennis cooper and matthew barney and all these different non-musical 
sort of. Well, Matthew Barney does. There's a little bit of a musical thing so with him, but, but he is primarily. His partner, Jonathan Beckler, is the guy who does most of the music for his stuff. Can you say that? Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I know. It's, I, I wish. know better, right? I need yeah. to have, I, get, I need to get a new setup with multiple. Mixer, yeah, well, I do, when I do it at my yeah, studio, it's right. got multiple channels, but like out here in the field, you know. So, yeah, Matthew Barney's, uh, his, his partner that does most of the music is Jonathan Bepler. And he's, he's, he's worked with him quite a bit. And, Old Noodles Bepler. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to just, yeah. Oh, no, that's cool. What was, yeah. the, what was the question? No, it was, uh, what, I was, what I was saying was that, um, you know, there's a lot of sort of non-musical influences oh, yeah. in the band. And I've read in various places that, you know, it's like Dennis Cooper and yeah. you know, Matthew Barney. And out of all the stuff that people mentioned, those two names kind of popped out. Yeah. as uh, interesting to me, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's not like we're trying to get into high art or anything like that, but. Um, oh yeah, so he's JR's gracious with his presence after going to uh, some art hunt today. He's been finding some fine art, have you? A little bit. Yeah. No, I mean it's it goes back to I mean it's just the the kind of uh, movies and books and music and shit that we are interested in, in, in consuming. We, we, we have very kind of weird tastes yeah. and that's led us to people like Dennis Cooper and Matthew Barney and stuff that's on the kind of fringes, you know, Yeah, that's stuff that interests us. That I mean, everybody in the band that interests. So it's, it's stuff that would definitely generate kind of some resonance within the music. Um, it's been cool to actually rub elbows with those guys and, and people like Paul Booth. We just did a thing with Paul Booth and he's oh, another wow. creative person Yeah, who, I mean, I'm not like a, I'm not somebody who needs to get covered with tattoos, but to work with Paul Booth is a different kind of a thing because you're working at, with an artist who's at the top of their oh, yeah. their level. I mean, in, in their area of, of expertise, and it's just cool to be able to, to work together with somebody like that or a Matthew Barney or a Dennis Cooper. Yeah, Barney's an interesting guy just with his... And he's like a, a very much into like extreme music and everything too, you know? I was just going to say... Uh, for me, like what what art is on on its base level is an emotional connection that you make to something, and and what the medium is to me isn't important. Like whether it's a a painting or a film or even just a conversation that you can have with someone. Like you can draw inspiration from literally anywhere, and then you know uh, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. You know, it's just getting it as long as you know. I'll take that inspiration anytime that I can find it. So some of the things that I've come up with have been from reading things incorrectly, you know, oh, like, I'll, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like I'll, I'll be in a store and like look at a book and I'll totally misread the title and I'll like what I came up with better than what <laughs> it actually was. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, I mean, personally, like not necessarily in Pig Destroyer, but it's the same thing for me. Um, you know, I think I wrote a riff in one of my old bands because I heard uh, Led Zeppelin song through a door and it sounded different. And I was like, oh, oh that's yeah. badass. Yeah. So, you know, then I played it ten times faster and <laughs> sloppier. Well, that's how I write a lot of songs. Is trying to figure out other songs, yeah. <laughs> and then like, you know, I think it's the way people do it. Whether or not they really want to admit that or not. Oh. <laughs> oh. This is I know this is a little cumbersome. <laughs> I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like, fuck this I was just gonna say what I was <laughs> what I was gonna say is uh, yeah I think a lot of people tend to write like that. Um, yeah. In in the sense that they I mean I I mean I don't know if everybody would really admit that but people don't recreate stuff out of thin air, really. I think people. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Yeah, nothing happens in a vacuum. I think something gets stimulated, and then that stimulates you to write something either close to what you're listening to or something that's in a similar spirit. So, I mean, I know I'm like that. I can't just write in a vacuum. I have to be inspired by something. Now, in this day and age of uh, sensitivity 
and um, you know everyone getting upset about everything. Has has anyone uh, come forward with being upset with you guys for some of the lyrics or some of the? Subject I wish that matter? I wish that they would. I could use, I could use a good laugh, honestly. Yeah. That's yeah. Lately, um, I think lately no, there was somebody that was really upset about the army of cops thing. They're like, that's fucked up, man. It was like, I don't know, dude, read the lyrics or don't. What were they upset about? Like, you know, like, I was like, first of all, our band name is Pig Destroyer. You're an idiot. And it's just like they thought it was like a very anti-police statement. Yeah. No, I, I saw somebody who, who was like, just, just the band name alone, they were like, go to hell. You know, and it's like, okay. Yeah, you know, that's, that's fine. Yeah. If you don't like it, turn it off. Everybody's got a right to their opinion, whether it's you know le- legitimate or informed or whatever. You know, they, they can people can say whatever they want. We we just go about our business. What I find really amusing though is how what bands actually slip by all of this controversy these days. You know what I mean? And like specifically, I know that they came under fire many years ago about, but but Cannibal Corpse. I know in the beginning people were like, oh, you know, these are, yeah. but now no one. It's like. They, their lyrics slip right by. Their imagery, everything slips right by. Yet they'll, people will find like the most random, obscure thing to harp on with someone who I think I, is like... I've thought about that, and I think a lot of it is just timing. You know, and it's like, who finds it? Yeah. Who do they give it to? And then, like, you know, like people are constantly throwing stuff out there in the media trying to generate exactly that sort of response. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe next week somebody will be like, hey, look at this necropedophile song on Tomb of the Mutilated. And then it'll become a thing, you know. But uh, you just never know what people are going to latch on to and when they're going to latch on to it. There's just no way to tell. If you could tell that, you could make a lot of money. I mean, personally, I think, our, like, you know, the whole clickbait kind of reactionary way that society's been swinging is, like, kind of lame. Um, I mean, really lame, you know. Really lame, big time, yeah. Um, I mean, I've always kind of been a, like a firm believer of like, cool, you don't like my band, don't buy my record, don't go to the shows, then we don't exist in your life. It doesn't have to. Like if you're, if you're forced to choke it down, that's, that's when it becomes unfair. That's when it becomes like, you know, some sort of like, you know, dictation upon you. I said dick. Yeah. Upon you. But like, you know, like if you don't want to listen to Howard Stern, turn off your radio. <laughs> like that sort of thing. You don't, it doesn't even have to exist in your life. Well, I, th- I think that people are getting sick of this culture and, you know, things like to swing on a pendulum. Oh, well, and I think it's it's getting ready to go back in the other. People are just numb to it now because everybody's an asshole and everybody's, you know, this or that. And they're just tired of hearing about it. And, you know, it's it, it'll get to a point where people will just be more hands off and hopefully more accepting. You know? Yeah, I just feel like it's, it's very stifling. You know? Oh, yeah. And, For artists especially. Yeah. And yeah. ironically, you know, back... You know, you mentioned Howard Stern, and what, what I always think about is how like Howard, guys like Howard Stern, you know, Lenny Bruce, you know, from yeah. even back, further back, were actually battling. Well, he, the, he really paid legitimate prices for what he did, too, you know. Yes, absolutely. Well, Stern is paid. He just paid money. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I mean, Lenny Bruce got thrown in jail, you know what I mean, for yeah. just for saying words, you know, which is right. insane. But these, these were like, you know, the government versus the artist. Mm-hmm. But I feel like nowadays... Now it's the it's, public versus the It's like the, the press and the public against the artists. Uh-huh, absolutely. You know, and I find that, like... I mean, if you're a comedian, like, who can you make fun of? Well, who can, who like, can you tell a joke about? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, every every time that you open your mouth, you're you're taking a chance that someone could be offended, even if you're not trying to offend anybody. You know, so uh, that's just... 
that's just being alive. You know what I mean? If you, if you don't want to piss anybody off, you better you better just shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know. You want to say and you're definitely offensive if you're Dane Cook because you suck. <laughs> I think Dane Cook listens, right? I'm personal friends with Dane Cook. You leave, you leave big, Dane out of this. Big supporter of the show is Dane yeah. Cook. The yeah, great so Dane. You'll definitely reach him on this. The great Dane. Oh, roll, roll. <laughs> <laughs> so when I first saw you guys, you were a three-piece, okay? You know, it was like uh, drums, guitar, vocals. And then this guy joins in like, what, 2007, uh, 2006? And then now you have a bass player. Yeah, you're, it's crazy. Actual, like you're like like Leonard Skinner now or yeah. something with all his band members and stuff. Okay. Better not get on a plane anytime soon, then. <laughs> so, like from the beginning when you first started doing the band until now, like what what sort of creative changes and what sort of like like how how have you changed your your perspective on this whole thing that you you know with these new people come not new but these additions over the course of the lifetime of the band? Well, I think we're, I mean, we're kind of reluctant to make a change when something is working well. And, and with Brian, I mean, he was in the band for a long time and it wound up just not working anymore, which was, just, which was kind of a sad thing. And we didn't, we kind of wanted to not acknowledge that until it came to the time where we were going to try and record book burner. Um, and then um, there was some, personal stuff that happened and we just couldn't move forward at all we had to let him go so we did that and we got adam in the band and he's been amazing because he just sort of gets in and just learns stuff and does it so he's been he's been a kind of a force to push us forward rather than to sort of drag us drag us down and that's been uh huge for us in these past few years i don't know how many years has it been six seven eight years jesus christ almost as long as Brian was in the band a few years short of that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's important for us to be in a band with people who we personally like, even though we may not hang out together all the time because sure. we all have our own personal stuff. But I mean, like, you know how intimate it is to be in a band. Oh, yeah, so you have to get along and you have to like each other. So uh, it's, it's been great having both Jarvis's in the band because they're pretty easy going and they, they do their parts and they also have, they bring a lot of experience from other bands that they're in. So, um, I mean, I would say it's weird going from a three-piece to a five-piece, but it's been over a long period of time. Yeah. And it's been for very, very good reasons to do this. And I think the band has, like, grown and matured because of it. One of the things that uh, when you guys toured with um, White House and uh, I think wasn't Wolf Eyes on yeah. that tour, too? Yeah. Yeah. That was, like, to me, probably, like, the tour that made, like, the perfect sense in a lot of ways because yeah. it was, like, you know, definitely – you guys are grind band, whatever that yeah. means, you know, but there's also, like I said, what we were talking about earlier about how there's these like almost, you know, these other, other, other aspects to the bands. And I feel like the two bands you're on the road with reflected that those other aspects of the band perfectly. And then pig destroyer also reflected the other aspects of those bands. So, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That was a great, that was a great little, that was a great that was a great little tour. I mean, it was it was uh, it was it was definitely awesome to play with Wolf, Eye, Wolf Eyes and White House, who's been around you know, forever. I mean, it was pretty. I, mean, I don't know that we'll ever get that kind of opportunity again, but it I mean it presented itself to us, and we just jumped on it. Yeah, almost totally. didn't matter what the money was like because it was such a like perfect alignment for us. Yeah, that we were stoked to do it. It was great. I think White House only played. They played two of the two of the shows, yeah. canceling one of them, the one they at the Knitting Factory. Shitload after uh, after I. Yeah. 
I don't know if anybody when when we did the knitting factory show, White House didn't play, but I don't know if that was on them or the club because I mean I think I think maybe the club got wind of some of the controversy around that band and and you know and maybe they weren't comfortable with them or but they they were some weird dudes too. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, speaking <laughs> of, of bands who might offend people, <laughs> like White, yeah, yeah. White House is probably should should be on that top five, really. If you're I'm, the kind of person who gets offended, even though we bands. like started as like kind of a more pure grindcore band we've always had interests in all kinds of different other types of music especially heavy music and so early on like we we tried to play shows with lots of strange bands that like you know it gets you in front of people who wouldn't normally see you sure and it's fun to like preach to the converted but it's also fun to like kind of blow somebody's mind who maybe is just into emo or something like that you know and, and you never know how somebody's going to react when they see something for the first time. So it's how you make fans, you know. The first time I saw you perform, Scott, you were an anal cunt. You saw some of that? Yeah. Actually, Massachusetts? yeah. What, uh, what show did you see? I want to say it was at uh, Bunratty's, a.k.a. Local 186 or something like that, possibly. With anybody in particular? S- was it with Grief? Slap? Ah, wait. It was either Slapshot or Grief. Yeah, I don't think we ever. I mean, Seth would have loved to have played with Slapshot. No, no, actually, that Anal Cunt did play with Slapshot. Yeah, but maybe no, you weren't in the band. Yeah, I don't then. think so. I mean, I, I would have remembered that, um, but I, I don't think I was. I don't think I was in Anal Cunt for that show, whenever that was. But it might have been with with Grief and Nightstick. Yeah, Nightstick. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't remember the venue, but I mean, we played a lot of places around. You know, we played at the Rat, and we played at um, TT the Bears, and and you know. Some stuff, some play Middle East and play, every, everywhere in Boston. I think we played for that very short time. Yeah. I didn't know you were at one of those gigs. Oh yeah, definitely. I was living in Boston. I lived there for a number of years <laughs> earlier on. Wow, horrible. How how did you end up in Boston? What were you doing? Graduate school. Oh, okay, what, we went to Boston College for graduate school. Oh, okay. It is. That's why they don't live there anymore. I mean, I don't want to talk. To, I don't want to talk trash on on Massachusetts, but I did not have a good time there. I did not have a good time there. Part of it was personal. Part of it was environmental. Um, I, I lived in a lot of these little areas outside of Boston, like Framingham and Marlboro and yep. Westboro and Bill Ricca and, and every, I mean, everything was just kind of old and infrastructure is old and it's cold and people are mean. You know, it's funny. I got flipped off by a little old lady couple trying to, they try, they were cutting me off going onto the mass turnpike, man. They were, were racing for the same toll booth and they got in front of me. I let them go, turn around. They both went, uh, middle finger. It's yeah, a, it's a like, hard town. Hey, welcome man. to Massachusetts. Yeah, it's a hard town. Yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah. But yeah, I think that you have to be of that stock to yeah. really enjoy I living like there. Be more yeah. It's exactly what they want. But that was actually a setup for another question I have for you about uh, Japanese torture comedy hour. Yeah. Yeah. Now I saw a couple of those gigs too. Really? What? Yeah, I did. Well, Chris Leamy. Did you see the gig you did with Masana? I did. Mersbau and Masana. At Mamakin? At Ma- upstairs. Yeah, Mamakin. Yeah, I was at You that saw show. that Mamakin show? Yep. Wow. You know what, how we got that gig? Tell me. Because. Um, <laughs> what if you just said no? I said no. No, I didn't. I don't know. Because I think <laughs> the, promoter at, the, the promoter at Mamakin thought that Mersbau was like some huge Japanese pop man. Okay. So we got that huge room. Upstairs at Mamakin, which is a bar that was owned by uh, Aerosmith as, as well as some other folks, but it was a huge bar, and we got this cockeyed show on it, which was Mersbau, Masana, Nightstick. Uh, 
I don't remember who else was on that bill, but it was a I think crazy it was those, bill. Just those four bands. Was it actually. just those four? Yeah, yeah. If I yeah, remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was you know they didn't know how to do the sound for that, the tech for it. It was just crazy. Hey, cool. Thank you very much, sir. That's all good, man. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Um, yeah. So that's awesome. I didn't even know that you were at these shows. Yeah, man. I wow. was like lurking, lurking up, yeah. up at those. Uh, you didn't happen to go to the Causeway show that we did with mentors, did you? You know what? I, I didn't really make it to a lot of the shows of the Causeway because I was definitely out of the way. Man. It's really hard to get to. Yeah. Down by the by the arena. Yeah, by the Boston former Boston, Boston Garden. Garden. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, a couple of times I went to that venue and the shows got were canceled. Like I remember, I think. I want to say that Love 666 was supposed to play there one time. And I'm like, oh, I got to go to the show. And I figured out how to get there. A variety yeah. of different trains and buses and walking. And yeah, all public transportation stuff. is a pain in the ass. Yeah, and then it, it, you can't, it's not 24 hours. And you got to like figure out another way to get home. <laughs> yeah, before then, Uber. Yeah. Yeah. And then I show up at the venue. I walk up to the, to the and then, the oh, yeah. It's, the, it's, it's, yeah, those sketchy yeah. like stairs. And I go, oh, oh, the gig's canceled. I'm like, fuck Son this of a bitch. What the fuck's going yeah. on? Yeah. What kind of promoters do you have running this place? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a tiny little box of a room, oh, too. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, then, and then there was a hardcore show that was, I think, one of Hatebreed's first shows in Boston, actually. Wow. And there was, like, this big fight and everything. And I was like... This at the Causeway? At the Causeway, Wow. Yeah. So, like, that's a weird spot to have, a, like, an all-ages hardcore show, I it's, think. It's, it's literally, literally like a room, and you set up on the floor. It's yeah. just, like, one of those kind of places. Yeah. But, it, you know... Short-lived... Causeway show, but you guys play there with the mentors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a picture out there floating around with me and Seth and El Duce. All man, I gotta find this. So you remember the? It's a picture of all three of us like holding our stomachs out, like see who's got the biggest stomach at the time. That's I gotta dig that up. It wasn't Scott. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna pan this over and I'm gonna look for the picture so I can show Mike. (laughs) That was funny. Find that. But uh, but today's show, tonight's show. Is a, it's a pretty, pretty nice lineup you guys have here. Is this just like a one-off sort of thing, or is there like a bunch of dates surrounding this? Yeah, we, we just wanted to get a bunch of bands that we really like, and you know, uh, and, and it's a sweet lineup. It's, it's one of my favorites, I think, that we've played with. Now, Despise You, who... Legends. Legends, who, have, who started, were legends in the 90s. And then their first show was like, what, like, like 2005 right, or something like that? It was like right after I joined... It was a couple of years after I joined Pigasaur, so Murder Fest would have been the first real show, I think, and that was probably 10 years ago. Yeah, that was their first actual show. Not, not all that different than Agoraphobic Nosebleed, honestly. That's true, actually. Yeah. But, you know, I think with Despise You, it's like they came out of that sort of California scene where those bands were very actively playing all the time. Right. And, you know, with Agoraphobic, there's like technology involved, like drum machines that maybe, you know, that might be an obstacle to performing live. But with like a, an actual... Power violence band. It's it was like uh, unusual. I thought that they never played. You know. I th- well, I think sometimes that sort of thing can add to the mystique of it. Um, I think a lot of black metal survives on that. Oh honestly, yeah. Because like what once you, once you're. <laughs> There's a, I'm speechless. What I'm looking <laughs> at is a photograph of a young, uh, you know, twenty in his twenties, Scott Hall. A relatively healthy looking El Duce yeah. and a, a living uh, Seth Putnam, yeah. also young yeah. and rather handsome, I might add. Uh, ladies' man. 
Yeah, and uh, they're all <laughs> they're all displaying their guts, and Scott looks a lot more fit than the other two gentlemen. I'm pushing it down. But you know what? I got to say, Seth in this photograph has got a bigger gut than El Duce. Yeah. 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 Like El, du- El Duce looks looks pretty. He looks um healthy, man. He's like got a tan <laughs> and everything. Uh, El Duce's more round. Than that guy. He's kind of distributed differently. Yeah. Seth had a big old front front side gut. <laughs> But, it, you know, we were just talking about tonight's show and everything. And, and uh, you know, it's like, is, is the sect on the bill, too? Because I saw their T-shirts out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they better be. Well, I didn't I'm going to be ad- upset. I didn't see them advertised. Like, I ran it. But, dude, honestly, it's like, uh, you know, we both had some – we shared our opinions of this venue. And, uh, you know, it's – um like the the marquee doesn't have it; it just has you guys on. It. And, and actually, yeah. there's something that, like written above rocks off, rocks off, which that's is that that motion. yeah. But it's like, why not? Why does he he have to have his name on there? You know what I mean? Right, it's like right, right. it's like brand this weird New York branding thing, which is ridiculous. Right. You know, it's like uh, yeah. you know, you guys are what's bringing the bill, the the lineup yeah. of bands is what's bringing he, people here. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's like a thing about that, like with like merch splits and shit like that oh, man. i'm like well if you're taking my merch money can i get a cut of your bar yeah because that's why people are here so cool you're giving me an outlet to sell it but i'm giving you an outlet to sell your shit it's uh it's so bad. maybe we should do that yeah you should try to try who to is get it that happening oh what's up man so yeah it was uh you know we, we've been trying to uh we always love playing we despise you and full of hell's great and you know we don't get out get out there that much so i want to try to get a Stack lineup, and you know, unfortunately, we can't. You know, I wanted to add a couple more bands to the bill, but they were not four's ha- enough. They were not having it. Yeah, four four is a nice amount of bands. It's you know, change change over. You know, minimal. It's not bad. Yeah. When you get above four, it turns into a fest. I'm an old punker man, so I'm used to like yeah. eight band bills. <laughs> well, and with grindcore, you can you can get away with a six band bill because you know you get those Magruder grind sets. So you can slide those in there. Long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, that's all I got for you guys. And, uh, you know, thanks. Uh, the rec- new record's great. I've been, uh, thanks, man. you know, rocking that ever since I got my promo copy from, from Bob, the Juggalo. Juggle- Juggalo Bob. <laughs> About Juggalo Bob. I'll be around, yeah. You've been listening to Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio podcast. We'll be back next week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio via web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities in the world, exclusive interviews and merch, and so much more. Come back